Chapter thirty six of the Eye of Dread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Eye of Dread by Payne Erskine. Chapter thirty six. Nell's Nelson's Testimony. The day was very warm, and the jury sat without their coats. The audience, who had had time to debate and argue the question over and over, were all there ready to throng in at the opening of the doors, and sat listening, eager, anxious, and perspiring. Some were strongly for the young man, and some were as determined for the elders' views, and a tension of interest and friction of minds pervaded the very atmosphere of the courtroom. It had been the effort of Milton Hibbard to work up the sentiment of those who had been so eagerly following the trial in favour of his client's cause, before bringing on the final coup of the testimony of the Swede, and last of all, that of Betty Ballard. Poor little Betty, never for a moment doubting her perception in her recognition of Peter Junior, yet fearing those doubting ones in the courtroom, sat at home, quivering with the thought that the truth she must tell when at last her turn came, might be the one straw added to the burden of evidence piled up to convict an innocent man. Wordlessly and continually in her heart, she was praying that Richard might know and come to them, calling him, calling him, in her thoughts, ceaselessly imploring help, patience, delay, anything that might hold events, still until Richard could reach them, for deep in her heart of faith, she knew he would come. Wherever in all the universe he might be, her cry must find him and bring him. He would fill it in his soul and fly to them. Bertrand brought Davy and her mother news of the proceedings from day to day, and always as he sat in the courtroom watching the prisoner and the elder, looking from one set face to the other, he tried to convince himself that Mary and Betty were right in their firm belief that it was none other than Peter Junior who sat there with that steadfast look and the unvarying statement that he was the elder's son, and had returned to give himself up for the murder of his cousin Richard, in the firm belief that he had left him dead on the river bluff. G. B. Stiles sat at the elder's side and when Nels Nelson was brought in and sworn, he glanced across at Milton Hibbard with an expression of satisfaction, and settled himself back to watch the triumph of his cause, and the enjoyment of the assurance of the ten thousand dollars. He had coached the Swede, and felt sure he would give his testimony with unwavering clearness. The elder's face worked, and his hands clutched hard on the arms of his chair. It was then that Bertrand Ballard, watching him with sorrowful glances, lost all doubt that the prisoner was in truth what he claimed to be, for under the tension of strong feeling, the milder lines of the younger man's face assumed a set power of will, immovable, implacable, until the force within him seemed to mould the whole contour of his face into a youthful image of that of the man who refused even to look at him. Every eye in the court 
was fixed on the Swede as he took his place before the court, and was bade to look on the prisoner. Throughout his whole testimony, he never varied from his first statement. It was always the same. Do you know the prisoner? Yeah, I know him. Dot is him. I seen him two, three times. When did you see him first? By ballards, I seen him first. He was horse-ridden dot time. It was nobody home by ballads dot time. Everybody was gone off by dot peak meek. At that time, did the prisoner speak to you? Yes, he asked me where is Ballard's folks, and I told him by picnic, and he asked me where it is for a picnic, is the gone, and I told him by Carter's woods, by de river, and he asked me is Miss Betty gone by dam yet, or is she home, and I told him, was she gone meet? and he is off like the wind on his horses already. When did you see the prisoner next? By Ballard's yard dot time. What time? It was Sunday morning I seen him talking mit her. With whom was he talking? Oh, he talk mit Ballard's girl, Miss Betty, down by the spring house I seen him go. And he kiss her plenty. I seen him. You are sure it was the prisoner you saw? You are sure it was not Peter Cragmile, Jr.? Sure it was him I saw. Cragmile's son. He was lame and walked by the crutch all time. No, it was Dot Man Deer I saw. Where were you when you saw him? I was by my room where I sleep. It has a wine growing by the window up, so they never see me, but I seen them all right. I seen him kiss her, and I see her tell him go away, then push him off, and she cried plenty. Did you hear what he said to her? Bertrand Ballard looked up at the examiner angrily, and counsel for the prisoner objected to the question but the judge allowed it to pass unchallenged, on the ground that it was a question pertaining to the motive for the deed of which the prisoner was accused. Yes, I hear it a little. Dave has come up and stand there by the window under, and I hear them talking. She cry and say she was sorry he for kiss her like that, and she say he is going vague and dot is what for he done it and he don't come back no more and she cries some more did he say anything against his cousin at that time no he don't say nothing only just he say dot's all right bouts him he say peter jr good man all right only he going they all same was that the last time you saw the prisoner no, I seen him dot day, and it was evening. Where were you when you saw him next? I was going long mit de calf to eating grass there by Ballard's yard, and he was going long mit his cousin, Cragmile's son, and he was fucking slow for his cousin. He don't got his crutches dot today. He vag mit dot stick there, 
and he don't go pretty quick mit it nelled pointed to the heavy blackborn stick lying on the table before the jury were the two young men talking together no they don't speak much i hear it he say it is better you walk by my arm a little yet peter and cragmill's son say he you go way mit your arm i got no need by it like he was little mad yet you say you saw him in the morning with miss ballard where were the family at that time oh they was gone by de church already and in the evening where were they oh day vas by de house and eat supper den did you see the prisoner again that day no i didn't see him dot day no more but dot next day i seen him good i seen him harry king here asked his counsel to object to his allowing the witness to continually assert that the man he saw was the prisoner he does not know that it was i he is mistaken as are you all and nathan goodbody leaped to his feet i object on behalf of my client to the assumption throughout this whole examination that the man whom the witness claims to have seen was the prisoner no proof to that effect has yet been brought forward the witness was then required to give his reasons for his assertion that the prisoner was the man he saw three years before by what marks do you know him why is he not the man he claims to be the son of the plaintiff oh i know him all right mr quakemill's son he was more white in de face he's fair as more more i don't know how you call dot crooked on his head yet nels put his hand to his head and caught one of his straight pale gold locks and twisted it about it was going round so and it was more lighter yet as dot man here and his face was more lighter too and he walked mit stick all time and he don't go long mit his head up red in his face like this man here and dark in his face too cragmill's son go all time limping so nels took a step to illustrate the limp of peter junior when he had seen him last do you see any other points of difference were the young men the same height yes they vas just go height like each other but not so wide out yet dis man he dis wider yet as mr cracknell's son he is got more chest like von got horse oh i know by men yes de same like horse that is the difference yet now could you tell the court just what you saw the next day at what time of day was it it was by de night i seen him on monday night yes late monday night no not so late but it was dark already tell the court exactly where you saw him when you saw him and with whom you saw him and what you heard said it was by ballads i seen him i was coming home and it was dark already yes like i told you and i seen dot man come along by ballard's house and stand by de door long time i seen him stand there 
and I just go by to little trees under and watching that in his for doing dear, not man. And I seen here it is the younger man that is come dot day asking there is ballad's folks, and so I just wait and look a little out, and I watchin him, and I seen him stand and vatin minute by de door outside, and I get me law under dem little small flower bushes ballads is got by de door under dot window there, and I seen him, he's goin in and just de miss Betty sittin, and he go rick down on his knees, and dare she yumped like she is scarred. Then she take him his head in her hands, and she asked him that for it's it that blood she got it on his head, and so he say it is by frightening he is got it, and she say why for is he fighting, and he say mit his cousin he fight, and his cousin he hit him so, and she asked him why for is his cousin hit him, and why for is he fighting? Met his cousin anyway, and de day brought his crying. So I seen Dot, and den she go by other kitchen, and bring water and brush him his head, and I clots around it so nice, and er day is talking, and he told her he'd done it. What did he tell her he had done? Oh, he say he killed him his cousin. Dot that I told you he'd done it. How did he say he killed him? The silence in the courtroom was painful in its intensity. The elder leaned forward and listened with contorted face, and the prisoner held his breath. A pallor overspread his face and his hands were clenched. Oh, he say he push him in dear river offer and he do it all right for he like it to do it but he say he go and run vay for dot you mean to say that he said he intended to push him over that he tried to do it oh yas he say he liked to push him offer and he liked to do dot but he sorry any vay he done it and he runnin vay for dot tell the court what happened then then she get him some things to eat, and they sit there, and they talk, and they cry plenty, and she is feel pretty bad, and he is feel pretty bad too, and so he go out and shut dot door, and he walking down the path, and she just come out the door, and run to him, and asked him where is he going and if he tell her some things there he go and he say no he tell her nothing yet and then she say maybe he is not kill him anyway but just thinking he kill him and he told her yes he killed him all right he push him off her and he is dead already and so he kiss her some more and she is cry some more and i think he is cry too but dot is all he done it all right and he is gone off then and she is gone in her house and i don't see no more as the witness ceased speaking mr hibbard turned to his counsel for the prisoner and said cross-examine 
rising in his place and advancing a few steps toward the witness the young lawyer began his cross-examination his task did not call for the easy nonchalance of his more experienced adversary who had the advantage of knowing in advance just what his witness would testify it was for him to lead a stubborn and unwilling witness through the mazes of a well-prepared story to unravel if possible some of its well-planned knots and convince the jury if he could that the witness was not reliable and his testimony untrustworthy but this required a master in the art of cross-examination and a master begins the study of his subject the witness before the trial in subtle ways with which experience has made him familiar he studies his man his life his character his habits his strength his weakness his foibles he divines when he will hesitate when he will stumble and he is ready to pounce upon him and force his hesitation into an attempt at concealment his stumble into a fall it is no discredit to nathan goodbody that he lacked the skill and cunning of an astute cross-examiner unlike poets they are made not born and he found the swede to be a difficult witness to handle to his purpose he succeeded in doing little more than to get him to reaffirm the damaging testimony he had already given being thus baffled he determined to bring in here a point which he had been reserving to use later should milton hibbard decide to take up the question of peter junior's lameness as this did not seem to be imminent and the testimony of nels nelson had been so convincing he wished of all things to delay the calling of the next witness until he could gain time and carry the jury with him should betty ballard be called to the stand that day he felt his cause would be lost therefore in the moment's pause following the close of his cross-examination of the last witness he turned and addressed the court may it please the court knowing that there is but one more witness to be called and that the testimony of that witness can bring forward no new light on this matter i have excellent reason to desire at this time to move the court to bring in the verdict of not guilty at these words the eyes of every one in the courtroom were turned upon the speaker and the silence was such that his next words though uttered in a low voice were distinctly heard by all present this motion is based upon the fact that the state has failed to prove the corpus delicti upon the law which is clear that without such proof there can be no conviction of the crime of murder if the testimony of the witness nels nelson can be accepted as the admission of the man richard Codine, until the state can prove the corpus delicti no proof can be brought that it is the admission of the prisoner at the bar i say that until such proof can be brought by the state no further testimony can convict the prisoner at the bar if it please the court the authorities are clear that the fact that a murder has been committed cannot be established by proof of the admissions even of the prisoner himself that he has committed the crime 
there must be direct proof of death as by finding and identification of the body of the one supposed to be murdered i have some authorities here which i would like to read to your honour if you will hear them the face of the judge during this statement of the prisoner's counsel was full of serious interest he leaned forward with his elbow on the desk before him and with his hand held behind his ear intent to catch every word as counsel closed the judge glanced at the clock hanging on the wall and said it is about time to close you may pass up your authorities and i will take occasion to examine them before the court opens in the morning if counsel on the other side have any authorities i will be pleased to have them also end of chapter thirty six recording by elaine webb bristol england